Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. What's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Depraved by AJ Merlin. Having lived through a formative, terrifying experience when she was young, Sloane works and lives at a camp nestled into a residential area. Virgil is a serial killer, just trying to get away from it all and take a little mini vacay. You know, relax. (laughs) Hide out, perhaps. (laughs) Sloane finds him intriguing with his snake tattoo, charming looks, and an easy way with her guard dog. But when she finds out that he spends his leisure time unaliving people, can she ever feel her heart is safe with him? There will be spoilers beyond this point. We have content warning for minimal animal cruelty, but the dogs are okay, I promise. Yes, they are. (laughs) Kidnapping, panic attacks, anxiety, PTSD, trauma survivorship. This is a dark romance, including stalking, knife play, light strangling, primal play, light BDSM, consensual non-consent, and dubious consent. It's quite the laundry list. Voila. Well, are you ready to feel romance, Erica? <laughs> oh, you know I am. Okay. So, do you think it'd be good to start with essentially son's family situation? What it was pre-story, since I think that dictates a lot of why Sloane is where she is, emotionally, physically, etc. <laughs> oh, and her best boys, Argus and Vulcan. Yes. So Sloane is in her mid-20s. She currently lives and works at a campsite with her two doggos. She has Argus, who is her service dog, and Vulcan, who is her guard dog. They're both German shepherds, I believe. Yeah, I think so. The reason Sloane has a service dog is because when she was 12 years old, her stepfather learned that her mom wanted to divorce him, kidnapped Sloane, and tried to kill her. Asshole. And he ended <laughs> up going to jail. <laughs> but Sloane, ever since, has had... Trauma symptoms, PTSD, panic attacks, anxiety, you know, understandably. (laughs) And Argus is trained to task for her when she is having symptoms. So he'll do different things like lick her hand or um, step between her and another person or lick her face if she's in the middle of a panic attack. Is it lay on her one of them? I think so. Yeah. Lay on her. He's otherwise really a friendly dog. Mm -hmm. Really a sweet boy. Her other dog, Vulcan, is less friendly. He really only likes Sloan. He's like a one person doggo. But she likes it that way because he helps her feel safe. Yes. Especially because she works 24-7 at this campsite and is often alone. Makes sense Mm -hmm. to have a dog that is there to help you feel safe and keep you safe. Yes. Sloane's mom, she's more of a background character. Yeah. She's mostly important because she is Sloane's only family. Sloane doesn't have a lot of friends. She doesn't have a lot of close relationships. She has her mom, who I think she feels close to, but also holds at arm's length. 
I'm not really sure why. Like, I thought maybe it was due to feeling guilty over having trauma symptoms. I wonder if part of the reason is, which she does not say this, keep in mind. This is me just being curious, but I wonder if part of it is Sloane thinking, what was his name, Anthony? You let Anthony into our lives. Maybe she blames her mom somewhat. I just wonder, because there wasn't anything in the text that would help explain that to me. Which maybe, maybe she is and she doesn't realize that that's what she's doing. Because that's possible. Yeah, my guess was basically just a guess as well. I don't really think there was anything in the text to give us a good understanding of why she holds her mom at arm's length. There was the weight or body stuff. Which, keep in mind, Sloane is fine with her appearance and everything, but her mom would ask her questions like, are you fitting into that lower size now? Kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. I kind of, my brain just cut that out. I'm like, ew, body shaming. And I was like, fuck you. (laughs) Fair. But yeah, Sloane is, she's a fuller figured lady and she likes it. She's fine with how she looks. She's very active. She's very healthy, even though she eats a steady diet of marshmallows. (laughs) It's hard to say no to s'mores, especially if you live the camping (laughs) lifestyle. But you're right. Her mom does kind of do that. I don't know. Like, it's almost like hidden as caring. Yeah. But it's not really. Like, it's icky. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that could very well be part of it. That's really the only stuff in the text that would explain it, I think. Sloane's stepdad, Anthony, has recently gotten out of jail and he had called Sloane's mom. That's how she knew. And her mom called Sloane to let her know and say, hey, by the way, block this number. And so Sloane has kind of had like this little nervous part of her in the back of her brain since before the start of the story where she's just kind of like, oh, he doesn't really know where I am anymore. He doesn't have my phone number. He doesn't know where I work. But what if he found me? And it just makes her feel all the more grateful for her dogs. <laughs> yes. Uh, her bosses are the owners of the campsite, Pat and Sam. They're a couple. They really seem to care about Sloane and they're happy she has dogs. She even brought them to the interview and they were happy to have them at the interview. <laughs> There's also a lifeguard that works at the campsite named Raven. And then I guess occasionally Sam and Pat's niece works there, but she's not really a big part of the story. And doesn't Raven have a relative that comes to visit? Yeah, I think so. Like Liza or Lisa or something at some point. Yeah. So the campsite is one of those that has actual cabins and otherwise permanent structures there. And then also trailers and campers and things like that. A lot of the people, do they own the area? Like, do they own the house or the trailer and they're like renting the land or something? Maybe that's what it is. Well, I thought Pat and Sam owned everything. It's just maybe they rent. It may be that parts of their property are dedicated to different types of things, such as cabins to rent versus open spaces versus... Well, there was this one property, I forget what the number is, but the roof is constantly messed up throughout the story. 24 or 124? I'm probably lying. But it... I don't know, the way Sloane was talking about it, it sounded like it belonged to the people who 
use it and they don't go there very much or something. But anyways, it doesn't really matter. So my point is... Well, they may have long-term rentals. Yeah, my point is, is that there are some people who live there pretty much regularly year-round, like Sloan does. And then there's other people who just rent it for a while or rent it and then go fishing, do more holiday-esque sort of camping. So the first part of the book really just is there to introduce us to Sloan, kind of her backstory. She's hanging out with a family who's also camping. Um, She has a real easy way with them. She's on her way back to her cabin, which is kind of more secluded than the other cabins there is a cabin near hers but it doesn't get rented out very often and 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 it's nighttime and she's Mm -hmm. walking past this giant carved wooden bear tree thing and normally it doesn't creep her out at all but that night her dog vulcan seems a little interested in the bear tree more than normal that raises the little spidey sense I think, in Sloane's brain. And she feels like she's being watched. But she just tells herself, you know, no, it's the bear tree. It's always the bear tree. I don't have a problem with it. I'm just going to go home and chill. I'm done for the night. When she gets home, she's in this really secluded cabin. So she feels totally fine. You know, once she locks the door, she's in her bedroom. The windows are open. She doesn't care. She like strips off totally naked. It's fine. I mean, she thinks it's fine. (laughs) The other thing, though, is before she gets changed for bedtime, she lets the dogs go have their final bathroom break. And she doesn't leash her animals. She trusts that they're well-trained enough to do what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. They're good boys. Sloan thinks a lot about leashes in this book. Like, way more than (laughs) I think I ever have. (laughs) to the point that i was wondering like is the author trying to convince us that it's okay i (laughs) don't know um i don't know (laughs) most people have their personal inclinations as to how often and when dogs should be leashed and i'm a little more strict than sloan but i'm just gonna believe that sloan trusts her dogs knows they'll behave and it's fine right Yes. And you think it's fine. Yes. Except that oh. night, Vulcan wakes her up because he has to go potty again. And she just opens the door and lets him out because whatever. She trusts he's just going to go out, do his business in the woods and come back. But he doesn't come back. He's out there longer than she thinks he should be. Yes. And I think, meanwhile, isn't she changing? Yeah, I don't know. That's when she's she's in her jammies already, I think, at that point because she's asleep. She was asleep. Well, I thought she fell asleep in, like, her hood and stuff, and she's like, oh, I hate this. Oh, yeah. And her leggings and and whatever. Whatever else. Yeah, you're right. She had slept on the couch, and he woke her up, and she's like, oh, it's fine. I'll let him out, and then I'll go strip off completely buck naked in front of my open window in my bedroom, put on my jammies. And by then, Vulcan should be back, but Vulcan is not back. Yes. So she goes outside barefoot, calling for him. He eventually comes back. And he's kind of smacking his lips together like he's had something tasty. And she's like, oh, great. Did you eat a squirrel or something? I thought maybe he found some bear poo or, you know. Yeah, I was just <laughs> like, he's coming back smacking. Mm, I don't know if we want to know what that is. Probably not a squirrel. Yeah. 
Although I don't really know what the sleep cycles of squirrels are, but yeah, probably not at night. Well, I I didn't think he'd be smacking on a squirrel is the thing. A squirrel might be something that she should consider because she was thinking the raccoons were in the trees because she thought she saw something in the trees. Yeah. And she keeps feeling like she's being watched, even though she can't really see anybody. Yeah, she has no direct evidence. She just feels like she's being watched. Yeah, been there. (laughs) Yeah. The next morning, she wakes up. She decides, okay, well, I'm still not going to leash my dogs. It's totally fine. That was a one-off with Vulcan. Whatever. I'm like, girl, (laughs) if you have to think about leashes this much, (laughs) maybe leash your dogs. I don't know. Just just saying. Yes. Yes. And I don't think my brain would have gone there if we hadn't had that mentioned in the story so frequently. Yeah, that's fair. I I forgot how frequently it was it was mentioned because I I had read this once before, <laughs> and I like I guess my brain just cut that part out. <laughs> you know, the other part my brain cut out is the heavy use of italics in this story. Oh. You wouldn't know this um, because of the audiobook listenings, but so many italics. Oh, my God. (laughs) And my brain, when I read italics, it will like emphasize. So like, what did she say overemphasizes it? (laughs) Oh, well, how how were the italics being used? Were they being used for emphasis or no? Because it was told in the first person, right? They weren't being used as like internal thoughts, right? Yes? No? There were a few parts where the italics were used for, like, phone calls or text messages. That's totally fine. Oh, okay. But then there were other parts. This is the part that bothered me, where people are in, you know, they're dialoguing, and there's italics in the dialogue, or there's internal thoughts, and there's italics in the internal thoughts. And I feel like it was a lot. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I just randomly went to a page... Here's a sentence that has an italic in it. Okay, so she's describing the house for the campground, which is like a general store slash welcome center type of thing. Oh, uh-huh. A back door sits behind the bathrooms as well, and a large white box outside of it holds fishing crickets that I know must be chirping up a storm this early. Hmm. Like, like why? Yeah, unless they're not chirping and she needs to then go investigate. I don't understand why it's written that way. Why draw attention to it? I just flipped a couple pages. Here's another one. She's describing Sam, the woman who is part of the couple that owns the campground. Mm -hmm. She tries to help as many people as she can, whenever she can, to the point that she should charge for her assistance, in my opinion. Hmm. (laughs) You know what? If it was just that, just that, it would be fine. But literally, like, every two or three pages. Oh. Yeah, that seems a bit excessive. I'm not sure why. Stylistic reasons, maybe? I don't know. I don't know how many books this author had written before this one. Oh, yeah. I don't remember it being so prevalent in the other books in this series, but maybe I conveniently forgot that, too. (laughs) Maybe. Not sure. Obviously, I liked it enough to want to read it for the podcast, so... (laughs) Take my comments on the italics with a grain of salt, y'all. But they're there, and they're excessive, and if you're like me, it'll bother you. (laughs) But you also may be able to look past it like you did. Yes, yes. 
Sloan wakes up in the morning. She goes up to the house because she's working at the counter that day. She asks, I think Sam, is there anything she should know about? And Sam mentions that they had gotten a call about someone who was maybe going to rent the cabin next to Sloan's, but wasn't sure, you know, rent it out first come first serve. Don't worry about it. Sam plans to be back at lunch. And by then Raven, the lifeguard should be there as well. So I was like, cool, 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 cool. So she's working at the house and it just sounds like a really chill job for the most part. Just hanging out, (laughs) scrolling on her phone. She's got her floofs there. When this man shows up, he's maybe around her age. He's really attractive. He doesn't look like a typical camper and he's got kind of odd mannerisms, but he's also, like I said, really attractive. And so Sloan is willing to look past that. The weird thing, though, about this guy is that he asks if he can pet her dog, Vulcan, and Vulcan looks like he's all about it. He's, yes, please pet me. And that's just so unusual for him. Vulcan doesn't really like other people. And Sloane's like, yeah, sure, you can pet him, but it's kind of weird that he likes you so much. And the man goes, oh, well, maybe he's just a really good judge of character. (laughs) Teehee. (laughs) he says he's the guy who called last night about the other cabin she's like oh okay yeah it's still available he says okay great and she's starting to fill out the paperwork for him and he's just watching her and he's kind of flirty with her a little bit but it's again his mannerisms are kind of odd they're not necessarily creepy but they're odd yes and at one point he's staring at her (laughs) And he notices that she has eyes that are two different colors. She has heterochromia. And he seems like really into it. He's all, oh, wow, your eyes are two different colors. (laughs) He tells her it's really pretty. She's like, oh, thanks, I guess. Uh, Yeah, so about that cabin you're renting. He says he's going to stay for 10 days because his friends have been telling him he really needs a vacation with italics. (laughs) He tells her his name for her paperwork, and it's Virgil Olson. And then he asks her name. She says Sloan. And then she asks him how old he is, which isn't really something she needs to know for the paperwork. And he looks like he might call her out for that, but he tells her he just turned 30. And then he says, why? If I tell you my birthday's today, do I get a discount? She's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And again, he seems very, very flirty with her, but also... Just, I don't know. To the point where Sloane is like, is he fucking with me? Like, is he messing with me? He's not the type of guy who normally would flirt with someone like me. I don't, like, what is this? Here's a good description of his mannerisms. And so she's thinking to herself, is he fucking with me? And then she looks up at him, expecting to see him, like, smirking or something like that. And it says... Though what I find is only a polite, friendly smile and an almost blank expression, like he's just some pleasant, empty-headed animatronic running through the motions. If anything, it's kind of creepy. (laughs) I mean, ooh, sexy. (laughs) Yeah, you kind of know at this point, okay, this this guy is, he's got something wrong with him, right? He is an unusual sort of fellow. (laughs) But at the same time, I kind of can relate a little to Virgil, not in the killing people area of things, but like I'm running a script. 
<laughs> oh, I'm supposed to smile now. Got it. <laughs> yeah. He may or may not have something else going on in addition to his uh, hobbies. Maybe. So he's like, all right, well, your dogs are cute. Love them. I'm going to go get settled in now. And he leaves. Sloan's like, okay, well, that's going to be an interesting 10 days. <laughs> she spends the rest of the afternoon wondering what Virgil is doing. She's definitely intrigued by him. She's into him. This is a fast burn, so it's, it's not surprising. She notices he takes the boat out on the lake right away. She notices one point when she's like watching him, he turns and looks up at the house where she's working and she kind of gets caught and he waves at her. <laughs> and then she gets a call and it's at work. So she answers it with her work spiel and it is just a silent call. It's an unknown number or a blocked number. And she's like, I think we may have a bad connection. Maybe you can try calling me back. And then she hears breathing and she's like, hello. <laughs> and then the phone line goes dead and she looks at the phone. She's like, what the hell? What's going on with that? Then she gets another, like right away, right after that, she gets another call from another unknown number or maybe the same one. And she picks it up and she, again, does her work spiel. And this time it's her stepdad's voice. And he says, I've been trying to call you for weeks. I had to figure out how to get a hold of you this way. Couldn't believe you're working at a campground. He got her number from his sister, Aunt Kate, who apparently found out from Sloane's mom and couldn't keep her mouth shut. So we don't like Aunt Kate. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. He says, you know, I know you're upset and I get it, but I changed in prison and I really just want to talk to you. And, you know, we could start over fresh and I can apologize. And she's like, no, no, I don't want to talk to you at all. Like I have zero interest. Don't call me again. She hangs up on him and she's not doing well. She's kind of freaking out. Her anxiety level is increasing. She's on the precipice of a panic attack. Argus starts licking her face, helping ground her. She's like, okay, thank you. And she goes outside just to kind of get some more air. And she's sitting out on the porch trying to de-escalate herself when Virgil shows up and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, oh, great. Of course, the hot, weird guy <laughs> is here to see me freak the fuck out. That's nice. Love that for me. So he's checking on her. He actually seems like he really cares. They do a little bit of banter and it kind of helps her calm down some. At one point, she does notice that he looks a little ruffled, like maybe he did something strenuous right before he got over there, right before he interrupted her. <laughs> and she doesn't question him on it, but, you know, we're all thinking it. He ran over there because he's obsessed. Yes. He needs to know why his obsession is freaking out on the porch. So that night, Sloane's back at her cabin. She has another one of those changing in front of the window scenes. Because, you know, as you do. Mm -hmm. Hey, if it's your normal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she has these like little pings or whatever. But deep down, she really believed. I thought she really believed nobody is there. Yeah, I agree. I don't think she's 
trying to flash anybody. I think she just feels like it's private enough to change without closing the curtains. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's innocent on her part. She goes to sleep. Her dog Vulcan wakes her up in the morning in the wee hours again for potty break. She lets him out. This time she has her shoes by the door in case he runs off again. Why she doesn't put him on a leash this time, I don't know. But she doesn't. And we get to hear about it because there's a point where she's like, hmm, I wonder if I still have that 30 foot long leash. I may have to start using that with him. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Then do it. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Find the 30 foot leash, Sloan. Do I need to shut up about it, Em? Am I expanding on it too much? I just, it's like, you know what? I could just, I could tell that it must really bother you. I guess it's because my dog, if she's not on a leash, she's gone. Like, gone. Yeah. She'll come back when she's ready, but she's gone. <laughs> I mean, I did notice the repetitive use of the word leash, but I was like, either she really needs to be worried about this, or maybe she wants to be leashed. Like, Jesus, why are you bringing it up this much? <laughs> I don't know. And it's it's fine. If that's what she wants to do, that's cool. But it's just, it was brought up a lot. You're not wrong. Uh, thank you. I appreciate the validation. <laughs> so she lets her dog go out unleashed once again in the middle of the night. And guess what, folks? He doesn't come back right away. I'm shocked. Are you? Nope. <laughs> Which, in the vein of not shocked, when she meets Virgil... And you know how Vulcan's like, I'll chill with him. I'm surprised that she's not starting to put things together. Like already at this point? Maybe. Especially since she was feeling like someone was lurking. I think you're just a suspicious person, Em. Yeah, this is true. Plus, (laughs) she knows her uncle is out there, potentially. Her stepdad. Yes. God damn it. Yes. I don't know why I keep thinking of him as uncle. He's not. Stepdad. Anyway, I don't know why. I don't know, because creepy uncle is a thing. Yeah, maybe that's why. But yeah, I'm I'm surprised that even though she knows, but like she's not worried that her stepdad is lurking or something. I mean, I know she's worried and scared and whatnot, but she doesn't seem, maybe not at this point in the story, but soon after this, she doesn't seem to have what I would hope her to have as far as awareness of her situation. I think she doubts herself a lot because of her PTSD. I think she tries to downplay that stuff when maybe she shouldn't. Yes. Not to victim blame at all. You know, we all have, or most of us have that little voice, that little gut instinct or voice in the back of their head or whatever you want to call it. That's like, no, this is wrong. This is bad. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, especially women, get trained to ignore that. Yeah. In order to placate instead. Yes. To manage feelings, to make everything okay. Yeah. Even though it's not. Yes. And I think Sloan is ignoring that in order to not be weird, quote unquote, due to her panic attacks. And I get that she may not want it to be true. Yeah, well, not want it to be true, but also just, no, I'm just fucked up Mm. and have these panic attacks and it's obviously my issue. 
there couldn't possibly be anything real out there triggering these feelings. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's tricky, you know, cause yeah, when you have anxiety, when you have things like panic attacks, sometimes you are triggered by things that aren't physically there in your environment. <laughs> yeah. So where does she draw the line? How, how does she tell which things are triggers from her past trauma and which things are things that are happening right now that she should be concerned about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Sorry for my ham-handed way of talking about that stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to invalidate anyone who has panic or anxiety or anything like that. No. I, mean, I have anxiety. No, no. <laughs> At any rate, Sloan, she puts on her shoes. She goes out looking for Vulcan. She's calling for him. And again, eventually he shows up smacking on something. And she's just like, what the heck, man? <laughs> but at this point, she's a little worried. So she does that thing dog owners do where she pries open his mouth to see what's in it. <laughs> and she gets a big whiff of peanut butter. And she's like, WTF? Did you find some camper's sandwich lying on the ground? Where? <laughs> like, what? She can't really think of a good explanation for it but again she's training her i mean she's trained herself to just like go okay well obviously it's just a camper sandwich or whatever i'm not gonna panic over it it's fine it's totally fine guys it's, it's super fine all right the next day is just a normal day except around the afternoon there's a heavy storm blowing in i guess there's a lot of storms in the area this is pretty usual for everybody. Got some wind that messes up the roof, especially of that one um, cabin, 214. And then as Pat and Sam are getting ready to head out, Pat asks her if she'll do a walkthrough in the morning to see what kind of damage the storm may have caused. Sloan's like, yep, absolutely. No problem. And so she's hanging out near the outdoor hallway area with the crickets and the entrance to the bathrooms and all that. And she's watching the rain just gush down from the gutters. I think it's described like a river. Um, so really, really heavy rain. And Virgil's there. And he's like, oh, you're not going out in this, are you? <laughs> he's like fucking Batman, you know? Like he just shows up. We don't know how he got there. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he's just there. Yep. There he is. <laughs> She's like, oh, no, of course not. But why are you here? And he's like, oh, well, maybe I just really want crickets. She's like, okay, <laughs> I guess so. If you really want crickets. She says, you know, it'd probably only be like 20 steps in the actual rain to get to your cabin because you got your truck right there. So like a few steps to your truck and then you drive over and then a few steps to the cabin and he's all, oh, you've counted, right? Is that how you know? <laughs> she gets kind of mouthy with him. I think she's decided at this point, you know, okay, he may be like super hot and all that, but he's leaving in nine days. I'm never going to see him again. Doesn't matter. At one point she tells him he's too fancy to go camping. It's really hilarious. <laughs> Virgil says he's a little offended by this and he says, oh, one of his best friends is a camper. 
He's actually named after a campground that's one of his favorites, and they used to go there all the time together. He also tells her that he's a crime reporter. He likes to report on murder crimes. She's like, oh, that's really morbid. And he says, oh, do you have a problem with morbid? She's like, no, I like the hostile movies. It's fine. And then he smiles. But at this point, he's like a little, he almost seems surprised by his smile. Like, oh, wow, I didn't expect that to come out. That wasn't a <laughs> smile that I planned to smile. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I do really like how the author described Virgil, like the way he acts, especially <laughs> yeah. during this part of the book where we don't supposedly know who he is and what he does. Because he just seems so awkward, socially awkward, but also kind of flirty too. So it's like he's he's act he he just comes off like he's acting, right? Yes. And and it's very amusing to me. <laughs> he asks her which hostel which of the hostel movies is her favorite, and she says she likes number two the best because the girl becomes the killer without much hesitation. I have not seen Hostel 2. I saw Hostel 1 and that was more than enough for me. A lot more torture than I want in my horror movies. <laughs> Fair. I like more of like a thriller suspense or some sort of uh, levity to give you a break from the horrific elements. You gotta have the levity. Did you see Hostel 2? I feel like I did. Because when she started talking about it, I was like, yeah, that's remembering that. But I think my brain might have also let it go because it's like, eh, I don't need this. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently there's a there's a female character in the hostel in Hostel 2 who becomes a killer. Sloan likes this. She says, quote, when she's faced with dying or having to join them, she doesn't even try to be the better person. I really like that in someone who's trying to get out of bad situation. Moral high ground is for the privileged, you know? And he replies, does that mean you'd cut off a guy's junk and toss it to a dog if you needed to survive? She says, obviously, why do you think I have two giant dogs? <laughs> <laughs> he seems very amused and into this conversation. Pleasantly surprised, almost. Ooh, <laughs> we have shared interests. <laughs> we have another nighttime scene. Sloane is in her bedroom. She's got a little hot and bothered from that fascinating horror movie conversation with Virgil. She's decided, you know, instead of sitting here and watching some horror movie or some sort of show or something, I'm gonna watch some porn and take care of myself. So she shuts the dogs out of her bedroom. So she has <laughs> no audience <laughs> that she knows of. <laughs> She's laying on her bed. She's got her shorts off. She's using toys. She's feeling like exposed. And she's thinking about how it's kind of sexy that her curtains are open and everything. Even though no one could really see. She may have some sort of, I don't know, exhibition kink, maybe something like that. She's missing having a partner. And then just as she's getting to the good part, the phone rings. She's like, well, shit, do I answer the phone? No, I have more important things to do. It's late at night. They can wait. The call stops and then it starts again. She's like, well, crap. So she gets up, goes out into the living room where she left her phone and it's a blocked caller and she assumes it's her stepdad. It's a silent call and then the phone goes dead. She's like, well, crap. Is it my stepdad? 
Vulcan wants to go out. <laughs> and she's like, no, not tonight. No out for you. <laughs> she goes back to her bedroom to pick up where she left off. She's like, I'm going to make the best of this. I'm not going to let this stupid phone call ruin my self-pleasure time. But as she's laying on the bed, legs splayed open, trying to get into it some more. She's looking out the window like she was before and she realizes the screen isn't there anymore. (laughs) Oops. And just as she starts to realize the screen isn't there anymore, something grabs her ankle. She freezes and she looks down at the foot of her bed and sees a person who had been under her bed, get up off the floor. (laughs) They're dressed in all black, gloves and boots and all that, and they have the scream mask on their face. Now might be a good time to say that every book in this series is loosely based on a slasher movie. (laughs) Yes. So, surprise! (laughs) It's Scream, sort of. Like I said, loosely based. Yes, it's scream-ish. Very-ish. So she is, you know how you have like the fight or flight or freeze? She's definitely in the freeze. I've also heard fight, flight, freeze, and fuck. Because it's adrenaline. I've heard fawn. Okay. Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. You've heard fuck? Yes. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. But sure. <laughs> it's adrenaline. You know, adrenaline's good for all kinds of yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, true, 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 true. So maybe it's a, maybe it's a, instead of the four F's, it's five F's. <laughs> so you have fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or fuck. All the F's. <laughs> all the F's. <laughs> so many F's. In Sloane's case, she's frozen. She feels trapped. She feels stupid. She's like, oh my god, there's a masked killer in my bedroom. I have never envisioned this (laughs) as a possible scenario. But, you know, she's here for it. (laughs) Is she? Potentially unwillingly at this point. We don't know. (laughs) I mean, she is there. (laughs) And she asks the question that pops out, which is, are you going to kill me? Makes sense. And he says, no, I was. And she starts to whimper. And then he goes, I was. (laughs) Past tense. I think. But I'm not going to kill you or hurt you. (laughs) Promise. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I don't believe that. And he goes, oh, no, you should. Because I could have killed you already. Like multiple times if I had wanted to. But I didn't. I'm awesome. (laughs) So reassuring. (laughs) And then he says, but I really want what you've been offering me the past couple of nights. I started laughing. I was like, dude, she wasn't (laughs) offering. She didn't know you were there. You dipshit. Yeah, but he's a stalker. He's got issues. Well, yeah. I mean, clearly he thinks it's all about him. <laughs> but I'm just like, she, obviously. she didn't know you were there. She wasn't offering anything. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he says, he see, his brain has told him a different story, M, because he mentions that he could swear she saw him that first night, but kept doing the stuff. 
Yes. Well, his brain can tell him whatever it wants. Doesn't make it true. <laughs> Objectively. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying what my reaction was. Fair enough. We like honesty. So, she's into it. I have a quote. So after he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you keep coming in here and getting all naked. And then you're like playing with yourself tonight. And I just couldn't say no. So, quote, he lets out a sigh and twists his hand until he can twine his fingers with mine. It's surprisingly sweet and terrifying all at once. Tell me to stop, he invites. I'll leave and you can pretend this was just a nightmare. And she's like, I, I don't know if I can trust that. He goes, oh, you can trust me, but it's fine. Whatever. And she's thinking, okay, well, maybe I'm kind of into it. Like, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's fine. I don't know. She's coming up with reasons. She's going, I don't even know you. He says, yeah, no, that you're, you're not going to know me. I'm keeping the mask on. But you have a choice. We can stay and I'll play with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Or I'll leave. And she's thinking in the back of her head, okay, he needs to leave. He needs to leave. He needs to leave. But she doesn't say anything. Then he says, well, how about you don't have to say out loud if you're interested, but I'll stop if you tell me to stop. All you have to do is say stop. And she's like, you promise? Oh, yeah, I don't make promises, but just this once, just for you. Yep. <laughs> And he goes in on his fantasies some more. Like, oh, yeah, you did this just for me. You spread your legs just for me in front of the open window. You didn't have to work so hard. I'll take care of you. I'll do all the work. It's fine. So he's like masturbating her. He's using toys on her. She's into it. He does say something, though, like, I don't want you to be like this for anyone else. Just me. You got that, princess? <laughs> Yeah, her nickname is now Princess. Yay. She likes it, so <laughs> good for her. Yes. So she has a very exciting, thrilling night with Mr. Mysterious, sexy ghost-faced man. When she wakes up in the morning, he's gone. And she tries to tell herself that that was all a dream. It was totally a dream. Until she looks at the window... Not only has the screen been replaced, but her curtain is drawn shut. And she never shuts her own curtains. So, yeah, that happened. <laughs> There's this funny part where she's like, I'm not going to let him dictate what I do with my window. And yanks the curtains open. <laughs> <laughs> so, remember, there was a storm that night. So, she's got to go walking around and see what the damage is. Pick up stuff. All that. Virgil heads over there sees her, and Vulcan's super into it. He's like, oh, hey! Hey there, Virgil! <laughs> You're my new friend! You got any more <laughs> peanut butter? I mean, oops. Virgil says, oh, you look tired. Long night. Storm keep you up. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, no, I was pretty bored. She asks him if he snuck Vulcan any peanut butter at some point, because he's not normally like this with strangers. She's feeling a little suspicious. He says... No, why would, why would peanut butter? Like, that's weird. That's a weird question you're asking me for no reason. She says, oh, I gotta go around the camp, check for damage. He says, can I come? And she says, yes, he can. He's like, oh, cool. I thought you'd say no. 
She's like, yeah, I thought I'd say no too, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) So that afternoon, she's ready to go home, have some food, have a nap. She gets to her cabin and ends up falling asleep until about midnight. And when she wakes up, she's like, okay, is Mr. Mysterious going to come back and visit me tonight? Do I want him to? She does. She wants him to. (laughs) She's a little disappointed he hasn't shown up again. Her screen's in place. She puts the dogs in the living room, shuts them out. She's got her phone on the dresser across her bedroom. And she gets all stripped naked. She goes for her jammies and they are not on her bed where she left them. And she says to her, (laughs) she says out loud to the room that she thinks is empty. I checked under the bed and the window's closed. If you're stuck to the ceiling or swinging on the fan, I'm going to be so upset and probably a little bit impressed. (laughs) Yeah, he's there. Maybe he was in her closet. Who knows? He says, same rules tonight. You tell me to stop or leave and I will. All right. And she says, you promise? Yep. When he promises, I really felt like he meant it. You know, so it gives her that nice sense of safety. Yeah, he's very open about who he is and what he likes to do. I mean, not his name or his face, but like, yeah, I kill people. I'm a monster. I'm tor- I'm terrible. I'm horrible. I've been stalking you. Uh-huh. Totally. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no doubt in her mind what type of person he is. But yeah, he also does seem to be really honest with her. Because he's honest about those negative things, I think she's more inclined to believe He's honest about everything, including the promise. Yes. At this point, she's starting to put things together a little bit. She's like, why does my dog like you? (laughs) It's not like he knows you. Yeah, he doesn't want to answer that one. This time he asks if she wants to use a safe word while they play together, do some consensual non-consent. She's into it. And they end up having another... Sexy, sexy night. They actually have the sex. There's a point where she sees a little bit of skin between his jacket and glove. And it has a tattoo on it that looks very familiar. Looks kind of like the tattoos Virgil has. Kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit. Yeah, and so now at this point she's thinking, okay, it's probably Virgil. Maybe he just doesn't want me to get attached to him. This is just like a fun one-off for him, so... That's why he's using the mask and sneaking in my room through the window, etc., etc. Because sure, you tell yourself that's alone if it makes you feel better. That day she goes out to the town that's nearby. She goes shopping. When she gets home and she's unloading boxes and whatnot, her phone rings and it's another blocked call. And this time it's her stepdad. He again just says, oh, I just want to apologize. Uh, Sloan again tells him to fuck off. And she hangs up on him. Virgil shows up and he can tell Sloane is kind of again on the edge of a panic attack. She's not doing well. He says, oh, you look like someone ran over your cat. And she says, do you ever just wish someone would leave you alone permanently? Even if that means something really bad would happen to them. Virgil, of course, lets this conversation play out. He's all, oh, like who? I'd, I'd never tell if you did something like that. Have someone in mind, <laughs> do you? <laughs> and she decides to push him a little bit because she says, do you promise you'd never tell? 
And he goes, yeah, if it makes you feel better, I absolutely promise. (laughs) (laughs) That night, she's basically waiting for Mr. Mask Guy, but he's not there. It's 2 a.m. She she feels it's pretty clear he's not going to show up again. She thinks maybe he's not as titillated now that she knows his secret. And then all of a sudden she notices that her screen is gone. No, he's there. It's fine. (laughs) Let's have some more fun. She's like, I want to take your mask off. He's like, yeah, no, that's that's not going to happen. You got to play this game with me one more night. Then he takes out his knife and he's like, you can say your safe word and I'll stop. I promise. And he doesn't hurt her at all, but... He does do some tracing of the blade on her skin and he does really like talking about it. He kind of gloats at her about how fucked up it all is that she's into this. She is into it. She's into him gloating about it too. He takes off his glove, I believe, to finger her. And when he asks her to suck his fingers clean, she sees the tattoo on his hand. And at this point, it's basically 100%. Yes, it's Virgil. She knows. So after they're done, she decides she's just going to let him know she knows, which is either really stupid or really brave or both. She's like, yeah, you could use the front door since you didn't get a chance to pet Vulcan today. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, careful, Sloan. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so now it's out. Secret's out. We know masked intruder stalker man is Virgil. She knows. He knows she knows. So now they have to deal with it. When they talk in person again, she seems a little anxious around him and he doesn't like it. And he reiterates, I'm not going to hurt you, I promise. He's He seems a little maybe more upset than he should be, I think, because Argus, the support dog, gets between them and he asks what's going on with the dog. And she goes, oh, he's doing his job. He's supposed to help keep people away from me. And so he wants to know more about her for lack of a better word, issues. And she does tell him about some of it. And she expects him to act like a lot of people do. But he really doesn't. He just seems kind of interested and, you know, concerned, but not like anyone else she's ever told about it. They get kind of close. So we got some sexual tension. There's going to be a kiss. And I believe they're interrupted because her stepdad shows up. And says, yeah, I figure it's harder to get rid of me if I'm here in person. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking asshole. He's like, I just want to talk. Just want to see how you're doing. And then he says something kind of really ew that he'd seen pictures of her, but they don't do her justice. It's like, ew. Yeah. Vulcan scares him off, sort of. But you get the impression that when he leaves, he's not leaving for good he's just leaving for now this isn't over sloan sloan is not doing well at all like this has brought on a full-fledged panic attack this is not good (laughs) this is very bad virgil asks who was that and he starts being all possessive at first he's like i don't share what's mine and then he realizes what's going on and he's like holy crap what do you need how can i help you (laughs) So he helps her through her her panic attack. He's there for her, which is nice. And then he says, you know, we do need to have a little bit of a talk. He's going to try to be gentle, which according to his friends, he's not very good at. 
And <laughs> then we get the point where you realize that for Virgil, it, th this is a permanent situation now. This is a full-fledged obsession that is not going away. He is now in her life forever. Sloan says, what would you do if I asked you to leave? And he's like, um, yeah, that train has left the station. <laughs> I'd try, but I know myself. <laughs> he asks if that scares her. And she's like, mm, she doesn't seem scared. She seems fine. Kind of unusually fine. All right. Yeah, this is a dark romance. Obviously, <laughs> she's into it. Obviously, she has her own stuff going on. She's she's not at the most mentally healthy place she could be at either. But she's just entered into this extreme codependent relationship with this serial killer man. And yeah, that's it now. They're together. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Did you find it believable at this point that she was pretty much totally cool with it? No, but I appreciated that it was a romance, so of course she is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most people reading this book are probably reading it because they want to read about someone who's totally into it, right? Right. Like I was saying before, like awareness of her situation and things like other things like that where I'm going like, shouldn't, shouldn't you question this? Shouldn't these other sort of thoughts being a occur to you not even just the window thing but like her not even saying like i didn't do that for you you know clearly this is this is a fantasy that's getting played out so i was like yes i accept that this is someone's thing what about you so i think for me that there are parts of the story where i feel like the author does a really good job of kind of building it up like she does have some mental things she's working through um she does have sort of an uneasy relationship with society in general she's been betrayed by her stepdad who was basically one of the adults she was supposed to be able to trust i think the um titillation of playing in the dark with the masked intruder that was definitely more in the fantasy realm mm -hmm. and so my brain was just like oh yeah of course sure she's into it whatever i think maybe that could have been better explained like we know she's into stuff like that maybe Mm -hmm. Although I guess the author tries a bit with the exhibitionist fantasy of her looking out the window as she masturbates. I think it's the point where she and Virgil come together and she knows who he is and he knows she knows. That's where the fast burn part of this romance really comes into play for me. And it just kind of, I guess that's why... I don't read a lot of fast burns because there is a lot less explanation and couple time and backstory and character building that goes into it. Yeah, you have to sacrifice. You know what I mean? For speed, you have to give up development. Yeah. And I think the author does put in a lot of nice hints throughout the story where you kind of can buy into it. You know, of course, we have the conversation where she says she likes Hostel too and the reason why. And it gives you some foreshadowing into what will happen later in the story. And then the fact that she has this very real present danger in her life, aka her stepdad, that it really wouldn't hurt her or bother her at all if he disappeared forever, permanently. And I gotta give the author some credit because she makes sure that Virgil is very clear with Sloane 
once he reveals himself fully to her, he does not let her sugarcoat it at all. Sloane starts to use the word unaliving and things, and he's all, no, I kill people. I murder people. I don't unalive them. <laughs> yes. Let's be clear. Yeah. So I, I think that is good for the story because yeah. it is like, yeah, no, this is actually what you're getting into and you're going to get into it with your eyes open. Yes. It's funny because I think Virgil is a really fun character. I really enjoyed him. Yeah. I think the fast burn in this case made the story less believable than it could have been. I agree. So now that stepdad has shown up at her cabin and he's a real threat and danger, she decides to finally call her mom. She's been thinking about this off and on throughout the whole story. Oh, I should probably let my mom know he's been calling me. But she doesn't do it until he actually shows up. Her mom is not okay. (laughs) She's ready to come visit, make sure everything's fine. Yeah, I don't know. And see, this this brings up some of the questions with Sloane's mom, too, like which which I touched on earlier when I was kind of discussing Sloane's backstory. Mm-hmm. But their relationship just seems really odd. She has this whole like, oh, yeah, no, I'll call my mom. Of course, I need to call my mom. But then when she does call her mom and her mom wants to help, she's like, yeah, no, I don't need your help. I'm totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> then why the fuck did you call her? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah we could see if there was some like inner torment or something yeah it seemed like a duty sort of call like oh i should call my mom therefore i will yes or even i mean she didn't have to but like the wanting to ask for help but then holding back because she she doesn't want to endanger her mother i think that might right. be the reason that she keeps going no no i'm fine but it just didn't seem clear that that's what it was if that's what it is yeah i'm not sure which would make sense hence the inner conflict no no i'm scared i want my mother oh no i don't want to endanger her i've got to push her away yeah which would make sense to me but it's not expressed if that's the thing or also like you brought up before she didn't protect me then what is she going to do this time exactly mm-hmm. later Virgil's back. He's dressed up in his fancy outfit this time. All black. He's got his knife. He's got his mask on his belt. They kind of have the what are we conversation. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty clear what they are, but Sloane wants to know. She wants it expressly stated. Are you my boyfriend? He's all, oh, we can call it whatever you want. That's fine. Yeah, we're dating. Sure. (laughs) love the level of commitment here (laughs) i mean no he is committed very committed call it whatever you like i will always be here (laughs) pretty much in a not creepy way maybe creepy way if you're into it yeah we get a little bit of virgil's backstory virgil has actually killed people yes The first person he killed was when he was 16, and he had a friend help him with it, and he killed his girlfriend's mom because she slept with his dad (laughs) and broke up his parents' marriage. Does that sound familiar to anyone who's seen Scream? Maybe? Possibly? I must admit, like, when Virgil was saying this, I'm like, and you didn't kill your dad for the cheating. Okay. No, he killed that slut that broke up his parents' marriage. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty misogynistic, I know. 
Not that really anybody should be killed, but yes. Well, it's just an escalated form of misplaced anger, you know? Yeah. Why is he so angry at the woman who broke up his parents' marriage and not angry at the man who was in said marriage? Yep. Or like, if you're in a relationship with someone and they cheat on you, oftentimes you'll be angry, and I'm using the general you, you'll be angry at the person who your significant other cheated with more than your significant other. And I think it's like a way to protect yourself almost from that pain. Yeah, that makes sense. He assures her that he does still kill people, but now he tries to be a little bit more discriminating and only kill people who he thinks probably deserve it. Probably, maybe, kind of. So were you like me at this point and going, I need more. (laughs) (laughs) I need to know why you went from killing the quote unquote slut to now I only kill the bad people. That's... That's an arc. (laughs) That's a whole thing. Well, I mean, he was a young, angry teenager at the time, and he's grown and become more of an adult now, Em. Uh Uh-huh. He could be a little bit more discerning about who he kills. I could be wrong, but I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that get killed for being sluts, and then the people who did that killing keep on killing quote-unquote sluts. So I just want to know how he transitioned. Because <laughs> for him, it wasn't never about her being a slut. It was the fact that she had wronged him by breaking up his parents' marriage. And she is a quote unquote bad person. Uh-huh. So is this like then people who have wronged society in some unforgivable fashion? Hence, they are the bad guys. Hence, that he can kill them. And that's okay. I mean, we don't get very much insight into how he determines whether or not someone's a bad person. It's not like Dexter, where we're pretty sure that that person is bad. Yes. According to society. There's a process. Yeah. (laughs) We, We don't get any insight into his process as far as choosing people. Although he is pretty sure that uh, Sloane's stepdad is a bad person. He wouldn't mind killing him. Well, yes, because he has to protect the girlfriend. Or whatever they're called. Yeah. (laughs) His object. His obsession. Yes. (laughs) I would call her his obsession. Like I said, that's where I was like, like, okay. (laughs) And I was hoping there would be more in the story about that, but there wasn't. Yeah, not really. I almost feel like the author cheaped out a little bit with him saying, oh, he only kills bad people. Yeah. It was like, come on, really? (laughs) (laughs) really though (laughs) and since you and i have have both read the second book in that second book ren the hero of that book says well you know basically virgil's a good guy he he doesn't have the body count that some of the rest of us have (laughs) like that's supposed to make him a good guy because the body count is lower i i don't know yeah i mean he only killed you know 10 people not 50 because it's all about the numbers (laughs) I guess it's to make him seem more safe, maybe? I don't know. How else can she trust that he won't go off killing everybody at the campsite or random people on the street? You know, the fact that he has some sort of level of discernment. But we just don't get to know what that is. Maybe that's to add the fear element? I don't think so. I think he was trying to reassure her. Oh, yeah, no. I still kill people, but only bad ones. It's fine. (laughs) 
Okay. She asks him, <laughs> would you stop killing people if I wanted you to? And he's like, um, maybe I could try it and see how it worked. <laughs> would you eat more kale for me? Maybe. We could try it. See if I like it. <laughs> and then she says, quote, don't you see how crazy it is for you to say you'd try to give something up for me? Doesn't that seem insane to you? Like, she's mad that he says he'd give up killing for her. <laughs> I think it's a weird conversation. <laughs> it very much is. <laughs> because what's being asked to give up is not, like, eating something with too sa- too much saturated fat or something. <laughs> what's being asked to get- be given up is the murdering of human beings <laughs> that may or may not be bad <laughs> We don't really know. He thinks they're bad. (laughs) Yes, well, he also had a little voice in his head saying, oh, no, she totally sees me. She's into this. (laughs) I'm not sure we can trust him and his judgment. (laughs) When we know damn well, she didn't really see somebody. (laughs) Hence her continued nudeness or partial nudeness or whatever it was no she was into it um okay <laughs> she was totally into it mm-hmm. <laughs> yep i buy that they finally have their first kiss it's amazing fyi yay for them that morning she wakes up and he has started a campfire on her porch and he's making her s'mores i think for breakfast Okay. Bold choice. It's kind of really sweet. She likes it. He wants to know about the stepdad. He wants to know what he did to her. And Sloane tells him. And then Virgil says, so don't take this the runway, but I could totally kill him for you if you want. (laughs) You could watch or I could video it or if you wanted, you could help, you know, up to you. Uh, we could workshop it. <laughs> so I was like, um, no, no, I don't think so. I think it's fine. I'll deal with it myself. Thank you, Virgil. <laughs> but in the back of her mind, she kind of is into it. Like she kind of wants it to happen. She's like, it would be nice if he were dead and couldn't bother me ever again. I kind of love that for me. And I mean, we can all admit to having thoughts like that before. <laughs> Or is that just me? <laughs> Not just you. <laughs> Not that I would act on them if I had a murderous boyfriend. But who knows? Sloane's mom does come to visit. Virgil's introduced as Sloane's boyfriend. Her mom is a little worried. Like, I've never heard of you before. And this is kind of fast. But Virgil is really good at pretending to be a totally normal human being. And so he kind of charms her mother and then leaves. So Sloane and her mom hang out. She promises she will let her mom know if anything else happens with her stepdad. I guess the mom was just coming by to make sure Sloane was safe and see her grand puppies. I liked that she calls them her grand puppies. Me too. It was cute. Stepdad is hanging around. Sloane is hiding from him, but stepdad is very much there. 
at the campsite, kind of being stalkerish, but not hiding about it. He's not as good as Virgil is at stalking. At one point, Virgil says, I, the offer still stands. <laughs> I could still get rid of him for you. And she says, you can't go around killing people for being kind of crappy. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I don't think he's kind of crappy. I think he's pretty bad. So Sloan had told her mom that stepdad has been hanging around and her mom called the non-emergency police line and they said they were going to send someone by, but no cops have shown up. Sloan has been really anxious this whole day, kind of hiding out from her stepdad. Virgil says, you know, I have to go back to my apartment in town. Why don't you come with me? Because Sloan's off for a few days off of work. They get to his apartment and almost immediately Virgil gets a phone call from his friend Ren, who wants him to bring Sloan out to this restaurant so they can all meet her. He has this friend group and they all have a shared hobby. Do you know what that hobby is? Crochet. It is the killing. Oh, <laughs> killing with crochet hooks? All of the killing. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Virgil seems kind of annoyed by this. Like, I don't want to introduce you to all my friends, but if you really want to go, it's fine. Sloan, of course, wants to meet his friends. You know what? The I know what you did last summer. Yeah. They used a hook. That fish hook. Yeah, they did. There you go. He's into crochet. I bet. <laughs> that's the friend that's He's into crochet. He's a hooker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> They get to the restaurant. Ren and Kaz are both there. And also Jed, who Virgil assures Sloan will be leaving because he is kind of a lot. But Jed seems really nice and sweet and calm. And Sloan is like, he can stay. It's fine. <laughs> he can't cook for me, but he can stay. <laughs> well, she doesn't even say that. Like, they talk about how he's such a great cook. I mean, it's heavily implied <laughs> uh, what he cooks but sloan doesn't pick up on it right away they have a real nice talk the friends all like her she likes them she doesn't feel scared at all she i think kind of likes being part of this group the friends mention that virgil is in love with her sloan isn't sure she wants to believe that virgil hasn't said that to her yet but later they have a talk and he says well they say what they see she says it's been a week dude it's all, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and it's now forever. How much forever time do you really ever. need to fall in love? I mean, is he in love? Yeah. For him, maybe. He's in obsession. Yeah. So they have a nice weekend. She meets his murderous friends. He tells her about how the time he murdered his uh, first victim. When they get back to the campsite, there's another storm coming up. Sloane sees a note taped to her front door, and it is from Stepdad. Oh, goody. Our favorite person. And it says something about how I'd really like to talk to you. I'm sure we can get to a place of forgiveness. I miss you and your mom. Really creepy shit. Yes. Virgil says, yeah, he doesn't get to decide if you forgive him, which I really appreciated. Good on you, Virgil. You're right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good advice from the serial killer and then sloan's like well maybe it'd be better if i did because then he'd leave me alone and virgil's like do you want to forgive him no i don't want to forgive him i hate him i want him to die 
Virgil's like, yeah, so I could still kill him for you. I mean, if you want, in case you haven't been told that enough. We get a little bit of primal play at this point. They're outside. It's storming. They play hide and seek. If he finds her in 30 minutes, he gets to do whatever he wants to her. Yay for them. It's a good experience. They have fun. And then it's the next day. The storm has completely trashed the campsite again. So Sloan has been working really hard cleaning stuff up. Uh, that evening, Pat and Sam say they're going to keep the house open an hour later just in case anybody needs anything. And Sloan says, you guys go on home. I'll stay. I'll stay an hour late. They're like, okay, cool. So as she's locking up for the night, she goes out the back door, which is locked behind her, and she can't unlock it from the outside. And her stepdad has parked his truck right on the road in her way. He's drunk. He's angry. He says, oh, I just want to explain things to you. This whole thing was a misunderstanding. I want a chance to show you and your mom that I'm different now, better now, all that stuff. He gets a little too close to Sloan in her space. And Sloane's doggy Argus tasks for her and gets between them. And instead of moving away, stepdad kicks Argus. And we all want him to die a very long, painful death. Yep. So that was the final nail in stepdad's coffin. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you, the reader, weren't upset enough that he had kidnapped and almost (laughs) murdered his 12-year-old stepdaughter and is now stalking and harassing her, he also kicks puppies. So, I mean, just put a black hat on his head and give him a twirly mustache, right? Yeah. He's definitely evil. Yeah. This is not a good situation. So Argus is out of commish. Vulcan has been hanging out with Virgil all day, so he's not there to guard her. And stepdad grabs her. Her head gets smacked up against the window. He's like, stop being so dramatic. You're going to come with me and explain to your mom that (laughs) everything's fine. (laughs) And you like me. And we're all going to be a happy family again. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, Raven and her family member, Liza, show up. Raven is pretty badass. She's like, who the fuck are you? Liza, call the cops right now. Stepdad is like, no, it doesn't look like that. It's fine. He drives off because he's a chicken shit. After stepdad drives off, all of a sudden Virgil drives up because he's worried. She didn't show up on time. And Liza's mom works for a vet. So is able to see if Argus is okay. And Argus is fine, guys. It's okay. He got a little hurt, but he's just going to get extra treats. He'll be okay. Yay. He was a good boy. He deserves all the treats. All the treats, all the loves. Yes. So things have escalated because now Virgil has decided, yeah, stepdad's got to go. This isn't good. This isn't working. (laughs) I tried letting Sloan have an idea about it, but I'm going to just maybe push it. (laughs) See if I can (laughs) convince her to my side. So Sloane's hanging out on the couch, taking it easy after all that happened. Virgil's buddies show up. Hey, yeah, we're here to talk about killing your stepdad. She's like, uh, no, I don't know anything <laughs> about that. And they're like, oh, Virgil didn't tell you? And she's like, um, 
No, <laughs> Virgil did not tell me. I didn't know this was a murder planning party. Virgil shows up. Oh, yeah. So I was going to explain it to you. I think we should kill your stepdad. I think it'd be a really good thing. Get him out of your life permanently. Virgil specifies that they were going to ask her. And if she said no, then they weren't going to kill him still. And Sloan's like, okay, fine. But what if you guys get caught? Because that's what she's worried about. Yeah, she's worried about actual consequences. She's like, I don't want you guys going to prison. That would be so awful if you went to prison for murdering my stepdad. Or what if my stepdad has a weapon and he hurts you or kills you? That would be bad too. Oh, don't worry, Sloan. We live in a magical reality in which consequences are eh, not really something you have to worry about. (laughs) They're like, no, we're super practiced and badass. (laughs) That is not a problem. Do you want to watch? Because you can watch if you want. Uh, I'll have him beg for whatever you want. Yeah, we could torture him first. Emotionally, mentally, physically. We could put it on a wheel and spin it. There's this great quote from him that I wanted to discuss a little bit where he says, quote, You want to see him bleed more than any of us. You deserve it, you know. Mm-hmm. You deserve it. You deserve seeing the stepdad bleed. <laughs> well, what were your thoughts? At that point. I was like, well, I guess that explains his thought process. <laughs> Those who die should deserve it. For the victims, I guess. You know, it made me think about when we have criminals who are killed for their crimes, legally, capital punishment. Mm-hmm. And the, the victims are allowed, or, you know, the victims' families or whatever are allowed to witness that. Uh-huh. And it made me kind of draw like this interesting parallel there between what is legal in some governments and here they are doing basically the equivalent, but illegally. Yeah, a vigilante version. Yeah. I got really stuck on that word deserve, I guess. Yeah. Like that she deserves to see it. She deserves to witness it. Okay. Does she? Does anyone deserve that? Do the families of victims deserve to see a convicted murderer die i don't know there's interesting thoughts philosophical journey my mind took there i'm not sure how i feel about it honestly yeah i guess my thing was i was kind of wondering like would sydney deserve to see you die like that's a scream yeah that deserve I'm not really sure that's the word I would use, but I think it is. it does give insight into the character where he thinks it's a deserving thing. Yeah, but he gets to decide who deserves it. Yes. And truthfully, I'm not really sure. Like, yes, I know he's a terrible person. I'm not advocating that Anthony is a good person. Technically, he was punished for his crimes. I don't know if that came with any, like, you need to stay X number of feet away from her or anything like that because there is a restraining there is a restraining order of course those are always so helpful yeah i'm not saying that there shouldn't be something done here but let's be clear like what virgil is suggesting is basically premeditated murder it's not her being in danger and defending herself it's not her being in danger and virgil defending her this is like let's plot to kill him yeah and not only kill him but torture him first yes so This may provide eerie insight into my head. 
But honestly, I didn't feel like it was warranted until he kicked the dog. And then I was like, you know what? Kill him. Fucking kill him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, sorry, Sloan. Like, I know you went through it. I apologize for not (laughs) feeling differently than I actually do, I guess. Although I'm apologizing, I'm not sure. But yeah. I straight up didn't care whether he lived or died until he kicked the dog. And then I'm like, and now we kill him. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this level of premeditation, I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's not the same as him rescuing Sloane. Like, if Raven hadn't shown up first and Virgil had, Mm -hmm. and he killed the stepdad there, it wouldn't have seemed as bad. The story isn't trying to downplay the, the murder part, I don't think. In some ways. Right. No, I don't think so at all. Because, you know, there's, like you said earlier, the unaliving versus, no, no, I'm killing them. Virgil's yeah. very cognizant of what he is doing. Oh, yeah. And he likes it. Yeah. He's into it. So, yeah, as far as the deserving thing, I'm like, I don't, I'm not saying I agree with his thought process, but yeah, it's, it's insightful. Okay, so we go from planning a murder to committing murder real fast. We're in the last (laughs) little bit of the book here, and it's going to just zoom right through it, and we're going to get to see a lot of blood and nasty shit. Yeah. Because slasher. Yeah, why not, right? So Ren, Cass, Virgil, and Sloan all drive over to the house that her dad has been staying at. Ren and Cass are like, we'll go in and prep it for you so you can hang out with her. Because Sloan seems a little anxious about the situation. (laughs) At first, she's like, no, Virgil, you should go have fun with them. It's fine. I'll be fine in the truck. And Virgil's like, no, I want to make sure you're okay. See, he's so sweet and carrying him. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Ren gets out of the truck with his machete. (laughs) (laughs) So after about 10, 15 minutes, Virgil gets a text. Oh, good. It's time. So he asks Sloane if she wants to come with him. She, of course, does. So they get into the house. Stepdad is tied to a chair in the middle of the room. All the other furniture is shoved to the sides. Cass and Ren are hanging out. No one's covered their face or anything. So it's looking pretty bad for stepdad. I mean, if it wasn't already. (laughs) Stepdad recognizes Sloan. Is that you? Tell them to stop. Save me. Get me out of here. I would, but yeah, I just don't care. So this is the part where we realize, nope, Sloan has definitely joined the dark side. Because she's like, tell me the truth and I won't let them kill you. <laughs> I don't want you to die. I have a question. I don't know if I should hold off, but I want to ask about the lying. Oh, her lying to him? Yeah, I was just curious, because I know you are very anti-lying. Yeah, I am anti-lying. I feel like this is a case where it didn't really bother me too much, because we're in this dark world where it's okay to fuck with people. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think my brain kind of skipped over it, where it wasn't so bad. It's like, well, obviously she's going to fuck with him. Why else is she there? (laughs) She's literally there to fuck with him. Just her presence fucks with him. So, yeah, it didn't it didn't get to me the way that it would have in a different situation, I think. Okay. I think in this situation, it definitely shows 
Sloane's mindset that mm. she is 100% part of the murder gang now. They are her people. She's got her found family. Aw. I know. It's kind of sweet. So the question she wants Anthony to answer is why he took her out of school that day. And he tells the truth. He says it's because he knew it would hurt her mom. He thought that would mean that she'd tear up the divorce papers. He was drunk, so he was kind of dumb. And he also thought if he could get her away from the mom and get her away from the mom's lies and poison, Sloane would see things his way and help him talk her mom out of the divorce. And then Sloane says, why did you try to kill me? And he says, swear if I tell you that you won't let them kill me. And she's like, oh, no, of course not. We're, we're being honest and truthful here. It's amazing to me <laughs> that he believes that. I know. He's a dumbass. <laughs> so he says, to get back at your mother, I didn't care about you. I thought that was how I'd get back at her. And again, he brings up, but I was drunk, because that explains it. Mm-hmm. Be- being drunk is a great excuse for all sorts of things, but... <laughs> Virgil is bored by this and he's like, you do not need to hear his bullshit. He's nothing. Sloane says she's done. So Virgil cuts stepdad's throat open cleanly. Blood splashes out, lands right at Sloane's feet. It's pretty bloody, nasty. He's gasping, dying, looking at Sloane like he's been betrayed. In some way, perhaps he has. And then Virgil says to her, Good girl, I always knew you had it in you. Virgil's proud of Sloane in this moment. So we get some denouement. We find out Virgil has purchased a house in the little town nearby the campsite. He wants Sloane to move in with him. But she's like, I've known you for two weeks, dude. This is kind of fast. She agrees she'll do sleepovers. And he's like, that's fine. Whatever you're you're comfortable with. Just realize that I'll always be here with you all the time. I'm never leaving you ever. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, we get an epilogue. It's a sexy, like kinky epilogue. Virgil is like, got her all tied up and whatnot. He's like, how long does it take before it's no longer a sleepover and you just live here? After the sexy time, Sloane's like, you know... I'm only here six days a week. I don't actually live here until I'm here seven. (laughs) They've been together about a month. And this is the point where she tells him that she thinks she might love him. And he says he knows. And that's the end. How was the audiobook? It was narrated by Leah Holland. And I think overall she did very good at narration. Solid performance. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like I could have appreciated more sass in Sloane's words. Does she play Sloane pretty straight? No, there was sass. I just, I don't know. Maybe I just need more. More sass. Okay. It would have made her feel more like she was able to push back against him and assert her own. Oh, okay. Are you happy for their happy? Um. So before we get to that, so first of all, I would like to say... Virgil, he's a reporter, which is scream nod, right? At least that's what I thought. And I was disappointed that nothing came of it. Oh. (laughs) Because I was thinking, like, when he was like, oh, I'm a reporter. I was like, oh, because he's a crime reporter. So he wants to report on how she is now, like, as part of a piece. Uh Uh-huh. 
and nothing came of that. So that just made me sad. Like, oh. Oh, why he was there at all? Yeah. Yeah. Because then it's just sort of like, oh, so he just randomly found this place. Maybe that is why, but maybe that's something. I don't think it's something he'd keep from her, though, because he's so honest about everything. Yeah, I don't think he would keep it from her. That is interesting. I didn't go there, but maybe he specifically targeted her on purpose. Yeah, like maybe her stepdad. And then became obsessed with her. Yeah. Because apparently he only kills the bad people now. So I'm like, okay, so he's there for the stepdad. And like, so he's watching her because he knows that the stepdad is obsessed. But he also said he might have killed her like he was going to, maybe, probably, but then decided not to. Yeah, I was just, I don't know. But I think that's one of those things that got sacrificed because of speed. Yeah. Potentially, maybe. I kind of wondered if he was ever really going to kill her at all because she's not bad. Yeah. Did he just tell her that because he wanted her to know how fucked up he was? Yeah, maybe because he he frequently like kind of not throws it in her face, but gets her to reevaluate like, no, don't sugarcoat this. Yeah. The morality line is kind of here maybe gray but it's here and you need to appreciate that that's where the line is kind of like the say red when you want me to stop it's like no you need to understand what the rules are i like your thought i wish that something had happened with that too i felt it was kind of unclear why we had to know he was a reporter at all because it truly doesn't matter in this story it was just one of those things where i'm like trying to piece things together because my brain I was a little thrown, like, why they're at a camp thing, since that is not very screamy to me. Screamy is all about the being around the people in the suburbia and stuff, from what I remember of it. I guess, and sort of leaping off of that, so how well do you feel like Depraved was a nod to Scream? I thought the author did a pretty good job of making it seem like Scream. He had the outfit. Mm -hmm. He had the backstory. He was kind of crazy looking, but also cute. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Skeek Ulrich. There were a few times where he asks her, like, what's your favorite scary movie? Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of phone calls in this story, um, not just hang up calls that are presumably Virgil, but also calls from the stepdad. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads to a little bit of dread on the part of Sloan, I think. Yes. I think the camping thing was a little weird, but I think it's because the author wanted to put all the killers in a world together. Gotcha. Okay. And there is a lot of camping in wilderness and a lot of other slasher flicks. This is true, because it's the away thing. You're isolated in a way. Yeah, so I think it was probably a, a choice to help marry the different slasher inspirations together. Okay. For future books, possibly. Yeah, I, I kind of, it almost feels like a fantasy. Like someone watched Scream, liked the killer guy, who, you know, which one I mean. Mm -hmm. And was like, but what if he liked me and didn't want to kill me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was kind of wondering. Part of me was like, I want it more Screamy. But then I was worried, maybe it's a copyright thing. Mm. So maybe... They made choices to, like, not get in trouble, which I totally agree with. By all means, don't get in trouble. How did you feel? Did you think... So it sounds like you think it wasn't Scream enough. Did you think it was sufficient? I feel like, especially when you pointed out, like, it as part of the world building, 
you know, the whole camping thing. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. Now, during that. Uh, I don't know. I guess the thing that I get caught on is, I don't know how much this story stands on its own. Uh Uh-huh. So I feel like you really do almost need to have watched Scream to better appreciate this. Although maybe not, because I don't know what that is, given that I have seen Scream. I think watching Scream before reading this story would give the reader more appreciation of the Easter eggs and stuff that are in the story. Yeah. For sure. But I don't think it needs to be watched before reading the story necessarily. I think that the creepy killer that is cool with killing people, but not you, he's obsessed with you. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty common trope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't think that that's super unusual or unbelievable. The only thing I think is if you were reading the book and you didn't have any knowledge of Scream at all. Yeah. Which, frankly, would be hard nowadays. Then you'd probably be wondering why some of the choices were made. Like, why that mask? Why the knife play? (laughs) I don't know if most people have seen Scream at this point, unless you like horror movies, because most people have seen the more recent ones. And just because you've seen the more recent ones doesn't necessarily mean that you'd catch everything. I don't know. I don't know that most people have seen Scream. I'm just saying that Scream was enough of a phenomenon that it has become like a pop culture thing. Mm hmm. And is referenced in a lot of other media. That's true. And it's hard to not know what it is, even if you've not seen it. This is true. So, are you happy for their happy? I think he will lull her into happiness. (laughs) (laughs) By just, he's always there. I don't know. I don't know if I'm necessarily happy, but I think they'll be happy eventually. (laughs) They're probably happy now. It's just it's hard for me to understand. What about you? Are you happy for their happy? <laughs> yeah, I am. I enjoyed the fantasy of the dark romance, the premise for the story and the series that the author's writing. And I think that because of that, I'm going to lean in to it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Yeah. They're happy. Yay! She had this darkness in her, and I wish maybe it was better expressed in the text, but we do get some hints of it. He's there, ready to help nurture it, bring it out into uh, the daylight or the shadows. (laughs) Bring her into the shadows? I don't know. I mean, there is like the creepy, yeah, he actually is stalking her and he's never going to leave her alone. But that's part of it, you know? Yeah, that's part of the appeal for her. Yeah, that's part of the point of the story. That's part of the point of the premise. Like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And she likes it. She's into it. It never bothers her, really, at all. No. So she recognizes it's not normal or healthy. But at the same time, she's like, well, I'm not normal or healthy. So whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Our inner demons can snuggle. Yes. So, let's rate them! Okie dokie. How did you rate Sloane? I want to rate her awesome. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's some things character wise that just I don't know. I don't know what to rate her. That just didn't work for me, but that may be a me thing. Because I want to rate her awesome because of the survivorship. Yeah. You know, I think some of the things where I'm like, why aren't you considering these possibilities? Your dog likes him. Why aren't you wondering about that to the degree that I feel like you should be wondering? But we have established that you're a much more suspicious person than maybe the average individual. We are, which is why I was saying, like, I want to rate her awesome, so <laughs> even though I have my reservations, we'll go with awesome. <laughs> what about you? I rate her awesome. Okay. I think there is tons of awesome stuff about her, and I think that the awkward part comes in because we get some hints at that dark part of her. Mm. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we got enough to make that leap from, and now I'm part of a group of serial killers and I'm going to watch them kill my stepdad after I emotionally torture him. Which does seem a little weird because she liked the ho the second Hostel movie. Yeah. So why doesn't she get to own her killerness? I wanted more, a little bit more, to make it a little bit more believable that she was right there with them in the moment, happy about the murdering. Yeah, that makes sense. How did you rate Virgil? I rated Virgil awkward, although I did enjoy. But yeah, I think it comes back to that. I need to understand why he went from murdering sluts to murdering quote unquote baddies. I have questions. <laughs> I don't understand. What about you? I rated Virgil awesome as well. I really fucking enjoyed Virgil. I thought he was a great character. Yes. I loved the awkward, look, I'm wearing a human face. Can't you see? I am just like you. I don't kill people at all. What are you talking about? Yes. Very funny. I thought that was really fun, really amusing. The awkwardness for me is twofold. So part of it is what you brought up, how it's hard to understand his motives. Yes. And I think your proposed backstory with the reporter thing would have really helped a lot. And then the second thing that I feel is awkward is the princess nickname, which I'm just not into. <laughs> That's fair. So he's doing all this titillating, dark bedroom talk, and then he throws in a princess. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't think it was in this one. I think it's it's another one where the hero refers to her as a little girl. Oh, yeah. And it's just that. No, thank you. And the princess. Yeah, can, that's a big no for you. Can kind of be <laughs> like that, though. Little princess. Yeah. It's like mm, grown ass woman. It feels diminishing. Some people can be into that and that's fine. But yeah, it can be one of those things where it's just like, nope. And I'm out. Personal preference for sure. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of those ones, like little girl, baby girl, mm -hmm. princess, angel. Mm -hmm. I mean, they almost feel objectifying to me, I guess, is the thing. Yes. And and in Virgil's case, I feel he does objectify her. Totally. Yeah. I mean, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But she's also into that. So yeah, she's into it. That's her thing. So it's, it's fine. But I think like the princess moniker coming from him is feels genuine i guess because he does really objectify her yes he puts her on that pedestal she's this pretty little doll that he's gonna play with mm -hmm. i mean he pretty much says that yeah 
So it definitely feels genuine coming from him, but it hits my personal ick. Makes sense. What about the villains? Well, we have the stepfather. Got it right this time. Anthony. (laughs) And I put him as mildly effective. You know, he's definitely a thorn in the side of the characters. But I mean, really, if we're giving out, like, scary awards or whatever, Virgil is scarier. So. Yeah. It's like, in the face of him, it's it's more meh. I think that's where, like, sometimes with, uh, with the dark romance, sometimes for, for outliers of the genre, like me, it can be helpful for the bad guy to be worse. Mm-hmm. But maybe that was part of the point. Virgil is the worst thing. He was mildly effective, but. Was I bothered by him? Not until he kicked the dog, honestly. (laughs) Then I was very bothered. What about you? So I agree with you. Stepdad is on my list. I would say he's the obvious antagonist slash villain in the story. I thought he was effective, but I also thought he was there as a vehicle for Virgil to get to kill somebody in the story. Yeah. That's the whole reason he's there is so that we can see Virgil murder somebody and Sloane enjoy it. Yep. Which is fine. I didn't mind it. And I thought he was bad enough to feel okay about him dying. I feel like the author did a lot of work to make sure that we would feel like it's okay to kill this dude. Up to and including kicking a puppy. Yes. Yeah. I have mixed feelings, I guess, on the stepfather. He was effective, but he was also a tool. I mean that in a literary sense, you know, he's (laughs) a tool for the author. And then, I mean, obviously Virgil. Duh. (laughs) And like you said, he is the worst one in the story. Because he's the murderer who actually kills people for fun or whatever. He stalks her. He's obsessed. All those things. But it's also fine because that's the ride we wanted to go on. (laughs) I wanted to read about that. so And that is fair. Yeah, I almost don't even want to call him an antagonist, even though he is... He has antagonistic elements, and he is definitely a villain. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me, too. I think it's pretty simplistic as far as uh, characters go. Not that that's bad. No, you kind of ex- expect a story that is more simplified when it's a fast burn, as you said. Yeah. How'd you rate the book? I enjoyed the book. I gave it a three. What about you? I also gave it a three. I did enjoy the book a lot. I think I would have rated it higher if it had been less of a fast burn. Like if it had been a moderate burn and we had had a little bit more of that character development, Mm -hmm. I would have given it a higher rating. Okay. So I think it's just personal preference. (laughs) Very likely. Well, did you feel romanced? So, yes, I'm leaning in here. (laughs) I felt romanced in the context of it being a dark romance, for sure. Do I want Virgil to be my actual boyfriend? No. Do I want to think about Virgil being my actual boyfriend? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, um, I think they had good chemistry. Mm. I mm-hmm. think the author did a good job of showing us that Sloan was immediately attracted to him and him, her. I think there were parts where they had some good banter, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah, there were parts where they were downright cute. Yeah, they were. Did you feel romanced? I did not, but I was much closer to being romanced than I expected to be. So, yay? <laughs> hey, that's saying a lot. Yeah. Um, one thing 
I wanted to talk about before we move on to our recommendations, I probably should have talked about this earlier, is the power dynamic in the story. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, because the author says in the author's note that Sloane has her choices. Her choices aren't taken away. Yeah. That's part of the list of content warnings and whatnot. And I can tell that the author worked really hard to build in those choice points in the story points where she essentially consents yes i agree but i don't know that i agree fully with the author that her choices weren't taken away i think i agree that there does appear to be choices but i don't know how much i agree that those choices were free for her to make that she knew that she was free to make them yeah because i think Putting myself in Sloane's shoes, thinking about it, like if I were in Sloane's position, <laughs> mm-hmm. would I believe him? Certainly not the first time, I don't think. And she brings that up too. Sloane brings that up. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't trust you. How could I trust you? Yeah, I think Virgil is pretty aware of that power dynamic because he definitely, through the author, makes sure that she can say stop make sure that she has a safe word. Yeah, but I wonder how much she can really call him off because from the minute that he sees her in the window, he's committed. Yeah, and when she says things like, if we break up, and he's all, yeah, no, we had this conversation. We're never breaking up. What are you talking about? Yeah, you're never getting rid of me. It's like, "Mm." There are other parts where he's all, well, I'd try to leave, but I don't know if I could. So in that first window scene, she's truly innocently just changing her clothes. Like, at no point does she really think she is the object of desire for anybody. Whether or not you think her changing in front of her mirror is foolish or smart or whatever, it does not occur to me that she truly thinks someone is there. Right. No, she doesn't. She absolutely doesn't. Which is, I think, where... I feel like this story could have benefited from, as you've mentioned before, from a bit more length because they could have maybe had an earlier scene where, again, maybe like him being a reporter and feeling her out, where they kind of suss each other out that that might be something that they're into. Yeah. And then it sort of sets the reader up to thinking this is okay. But I guess it just depends on whether or not Merlin wants the reader to feel that it's okay, really. Yeah, and I think the author just kind of toes the line there, because, I mean, we're obviously on the dark romance chain. Choo-choo. Here we go. Yeah. But we also want to have some of that building of the feeling of dread and creepiness, and I think the author does a really good job with the stalker portion of the story. Yeah, I think she does. So, what else have you been reading? Well, I just recently finished the second book in this very series. It's called Brutal. Fictional cat alert for those who like fictional cats. Yay! There is one named Shadow, who is sassy. As cats are. Yes. And there is a cat named Morticia, who is well-mannered. Which <laughs> you can just imagine a Morticia cat being well-mannered. Yes. <laughs> so Brutal is the tale of a serial killer, as you do going to commit the killings in a camp with a bunch of people. But then he falls prey to love, lust, obsession, when he meets a young woman who is in distress. 
He has been watching her before, so the stalker theme continues. Maybe she's into it, or maybe she's just willing to sacrifice herself for the others. We don't know. Or maybe we do know. Uh, the author, I'm sure, has made a list of trigger warnings and stuff, because, yes. <laughs> that might be something. If Yeah, I think this author is really cognizant of content warnings. Yes. If you are worried about being triggered, seek that out. So that way you know whether or not that is something you should be worried about. Um, but yeah, that's what I finished reading. What about you? I recently finished the seventh book in the Clicanian series. This one is called Ruling Sixthend by Victoria Aveline. Mm-hmm. The first book in the series is Choosing Theo, which I also wrecked and truly enjoyed. And I know you've read quite a few of them as well, right, Em? I have. They all have not been on audio as of yet. I think about two behind. So that's where I am. But in this one, our main character, Sophia, is part of the planetary tour of humans. She's touring the alien planet, meeting all the different cities and people. It's part of a publicity slash political stunt. So one of the cities that Sophie visits is... This place that is ruled by a king named Sickfend, who is very grumpy. Ooh, you do like your grumpy pants. I do. He's been betrayed before. Oh no. And he has captured Sophie as a political prisoner, and yet feels charmed by her, even though he doesn't want to be, because can he really trust her? Will she stab him in the back like someone else had done previously in his life? Literally? (laughs) Hey, given the one we just listened slash read. It was really good because we got grumpy pants. He's been betrayed. We've got plucky, smart, resilient human woman who is going to teach him not to be so grumpy. Or maybe with her anyway. I don't know. Read it and find out. I don't know if I <laughs> described that very well, but that's what you're getting. So enjoy. That's how I feel. I'm like, I did a poor job wrecking this. Moving on. <laughs> it's the Clicanian series by Victoria Aveline. You have to read it. Just read all of them. Okay. It's good. <laughs> if you like alien romances, you will like it. That is it for this time. Check out our website, romancebepodcast.com. We've got show notes, other episodes, our upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. And you know what? You can rate us too. Give us a five. I have no shame. Still, no shame. Woohoo. It's okay. You don't need it. Only begging. <laughs> Well, were you romanced? Assuming you did read it. <laughs> Let's be clear. Um, or maybe just by what we said, although how you got romanced for, by what we said, I don't know. Anyway, awkwardly were moving on. Were you romanced on. by us? <laughs> <laughs> did we romance you? Um, were you romanced <laughs> by Sloan and Virgil's story? I'm just going to go with what it says because I am a drained being. Well, let us know what you think. Or talk amongst yourselves. Either way, we're cool. Join us next time when we discuss Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. Farewell. Adios. (laughs) I'll be the same. Sayonara.
That one too. So now we need to do a screamathon. <laughs> Complete with the TV series as well. Oh wow, that is quite the investment. Yes, I think it's five or six movies plus the TV series, which is only three seasons. I think the seasons are short. 